Get ready to hear some noise tonight. You're about to go behind enemy lines with the original Blues Hockey Podcast. Let's go Blues Radio. Welcome to Let's Go Blues Radio, the original podcast of the Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. Uh, this is Season 8, Episode 2, Franchise Episode number 188. At the top of the show, I want to make sure that uh, I thank the Wild and Free for the use of their song Fire, uh, which we're hearing now and you heard uh, in the open there. So thank you very much, guys. Uh, keep up the great work. Um, I will uh, uh, hopefully be seeing you guys out at a, one of your concerts soon. Uh, so we will see. But, uh, I'm a, uh, life has been crazy lately. Uh, I just moved, so... Uh, look out, STL Blues history. I live pretty close to you, so um, I'll try my best not to stalk you, but I can't promise anything. Please check out the letsgoblues.com shop and consider buying a reasonably priced shirt, mug, or sticker. All proceeds go back into the show. And of course, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can also listen at letsgobluesradio.com. And if you do listen on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think, uh, especially this summer series. I'm, I'm wondering what people thought of the first one. I thought it was really well done. I thought Eddie was extremely prepared, uh, more so than, than I expected. He was the first one I did, the first interview for this, and uh, he was an excellent one. And I even told him then. I'm going to open with this one because this one's good. Uh, but don't worry, the second one is also good. So we will be getting that very, very soon. But, of course, as we did last week and something we will continue to do is we will open the show with my new favorite segment, Keep the Party Going. This is where I let you, the listener, Email in and let us know what you thought about the Blues Stanley Cup Championship, what it meant to you personally. If you would like to be the next person that I read, or, well, you probably wouldn't be next because i got a couple in front of you already, uh, go ahead and send us an email at radio at letsgoblues.com. That's radio at letsgoblues.com. And anything you want to talk about with, with the Blues winning the championship, uh, it's uh, it's been such an exciting time here in St. Louis. The party is still going, and I'm making sure that we continue that no matter what. So this week's email comes from Andrea, 
Andrea says, I have an unusual road to being a blues fan. I was obsessed with the movie Mighty Ducks 2, and after watching that movie several dozen times, I decided to watch a real hockey game. So I watched the Rangers celebration game in 95 after the lockout. I liked it, so I watched the Blues game because they were the local team. My family has been Cardinals fans for four generations, but hockey wasn't a thing except for an older cousin. So I was on my own, but I never had a problem doing it my way. I fell in love with hockey and the Blue Note. I loved the trumpet shoulder patches, as did I, Andrea. I I still love those. The sound of the skates on the ice and the goal horn. I wrote every game on my calendar. When the game ended, I wrote the score, who scored, and if there was anything special about the goal, shorthanded, power play, etc. I watched every game. Game tickets were all I asked for at birthdays and Christmas. When I turned 16, I didn't want a car. I wanted really amazing blues tickets. I got second row from the ice right behind the visitor's bench. There were only two kids in my high school that wore jerseys to school, me and a Blackhawks fan. So many of my memories are all by myself. The Iserman double overtime goal killed me. Uh, we always got to bring this up every episode, don't we? Thanks, Andrea. And I think it was the same playoffs where Grant Fuhrer got injured by a Leafs player. I think it's Matt Sundin, but uh, Andrea, I will correct you there. It is Nick Kiprios, public enemy number one still in my household. So keep that in mind when you see him on those Canadian broadcasts. Back to Andrea. Maybe now I can forgive them. Al McInnes' slap shot still makes me smile. Jeff Courtnall's retirement speech still chokes me up. As I became an adult and moved to North Carolina with my Rangers fan husband, I watched less games. Work, graduated school, graduate school, not graduate school. Gotta love the English language, how graduate and graduate is the exact same spelling. That makes total sense. Uh, so again, back to Andrea. Work, graduate school, kids, and a few broken heart seasons made it easy for me to be, quote, too busy to watch. These last few years have been rough, deaths followed by family fallouts, and then a house fire. Jeez, Andrea, sorry to hear that. We only got back in our house at the end of March. I don't think I got my jerseys back after the fire. I am still desperately hoping that I have misplaced them in some box that I haven't looked at yet. This Stanley Cup win was actually healing in some ways. I have new hockey memories. My kids watched with me and I asked every and they asked every morning when I woke them about the previous night's game. This playoffs run inspired me to get back to who I really am, a dedicated and educated St. Louis sports fan. And that's how I found my way to your podcast. I want to know more than just the box score of the games I miss. So thanks for your podcast and play Gloria from Andrea. Andrea, it sounds like you have been through a lot lately, so I uh, I, I feel terrible for you. My parents uh, had their house uh, torn apart by a tornado, uh, the one that rolled through St. Charles in uh, was it 2013. Um, and uh, obviously you mentioned deaths. I've said on the show many times, my hockey-loving father passed in 2015 from leukemia, so I feel you. It's, uh, it's tough, um, but uh, that's kind of the reason I love this sport so much is it's such a good escape. And that's what I tell people whenever hockey causes them, you know, so much strife and just kind of ruins their day. And, yeah, there are times, you know, when, like when the, the Jets tied the series at two with that overtime goal, that ruined my night. Uh, the hand pass goal against the Sharks, that ruined my night. Um, so I'm not saying it doesn't happen to me, but I try to remind myself, especially during the regular season, 
that uh, this is supposed to be entertainment. It's supposed to be getting you away from all the uh, hardships of life. So uh, glad you uh, were able to find hockey again and and find happiness. And sounds like you're turning your kids into quite the hockey fans. So good on you. Let's keep growing the sport. And uh, again, Andrea, thank you for listening. And and for all of you for listening, um, I'm always amazed at how many people uh, let us know, let me, me know or Kurt or Bill uh, that they're listening and, and, you know, how much uh, it means to them to, to, to not miss an episode. And uh, that's really cool to hear. Love hearing that. So so thank you very much, Andrea. And I'm glad to hear that uh, the Stanley Cup Championship has put a smile on your face as it has all of us. I don't think my smile has left my face since the Blues won in Game 7. And now I want to introduce my guest, Mr. Garrett Bahanna of Pennsburg.com and the Pennsburg Podcast. Garrett is a longtime Penguins fan and Pennsylvania native. Uh, we did record this episode on May 28th. So this is while the playoffs were going on. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously I mentioned that. We talk about where we were at in the series when this was recorded. But I don't think there's a whole lot uh, that's outdated here. We kind of talk about the Penguins championships, which uh, obviously, you know, we, we don't talk about the Blues championship yet because it hasn't happened yet when this was recorded. Uh, So sit back, enjoy, and here we go, my talk with Garrett Bahanna. Today we are talking Pittsburgh Penguins over here on Let's Go Blues Radio, Behind Enemy Lines, and I'm joined by a member of uh, Pennsburg, that's the SB Nation blogs. His name is Garrett Bahanna. We'll get to Garrett here in a second, but first I do want to run over Uh, some of the important information between the Blues and Penguins. Now, of course, uh, everyone should remember that uh, they were the two of the teams in the expansion six back in 1967. So uh, back in those days, the Blues and Penguins did see each other a lot. So keep that in mind when you hear the all-time record. The Blues' all-time record against the Penguins, 147 games played, 74 wins, 52 losses, 18 ties, and three overtime losses. The first meeting was on October 13, 1967. That was a 3-1 loss at the hands of the Penguins. Uh, that was also just the second game in franchise history. And the next night, part of a back-to-back, it was the flu. Uh, I'm sorry, the first Blues road game and the franchise's first win. That was on October 14, 1967. Uh, the Blues won that one 4-2. Uh, and then another big point, at least for Blues fans, of the uh, Penguins and Blues matchup, Bob Gassoff's first game, uh, the retired number three up in uh, the Rafters. His first game against the, was against the Penguins, and it was January 23rd, 1974, in Pittsburgh. Uh, no points in a 4-1 loss at the hands of the Penguins. Uh, so Garrett of Pennsburg, the Pennsburg blog, Pennsburg of SB Nation, however you want to call it, uh, thank you for joining me, Garrett. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, Jeff. You know, it's always nice to talk some hockey in in, in the uh, early phases of the summer. You know, even if the Penguins are are off playing golf, it's always a fun time talking a little shooty puck, especially on a podcast like this with the St. Louis Blues. Um, you know, as far as I'm aware, you know, the, the Blues and the Penguins, even though both of them came in as as a part of the the expansion upgrade in the late 60s, you know, there's really not a whole lot of history between these two franchises. I wouldn't say they're bitter rivals or anything like that, but still, it's always a fun time to talk some hockey, and I'm thankful for you having me on. 
Yeah, of course. And um, I, I'll go ahead and preface this because I do this with every episode. And uh, we are pre-recording this episode here on May 28th. So the Blues have played one game in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, so for those of you listening to this, uh, whether it's in June, July, or whenever it is released, um, if we reference anything with the Stanley Cup final, keep in mind that, uh, that that is when this was recorded. So hopefully we are talking about the Blues being Stanley Cup champions here in a bit, which uh, you we were just talking about uh, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins championship teams uh, back-to-back in 16-17. Um, that had to be pretty exciting to see back-to-back wins, uh, first time since the Red Wings in uh, 1998. Yeah, it was something that obviously I had never experienced before as uh, a young writer, a very young writer, only 21 years old, so... Um, you know, to, to, to get the opportunity to, you know, watch the team that you grow up rooting for. And, you know, I'm not going to try, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. You know, the, the Penguins have been incredibly fortunate over their franchise history with, you know, the likes of Mario Lemieux and, and Yaramir Yager, Sidney Crosby, Kenny Malkin. They've been put in very fortunate positions with some of the talent that they've been given. And it has been incredibly rewarding, incredibly satisfying, so fun to watch on a nightly basis, you know, the likes of Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby, two of the most elite players that this game has probably ever seen. And for, that, for them to go back-to-back for the first time since the Red Wings did it, I believe, in the late 90s, it, you know, I think because this is, everyone calls this the salary cap era. And, you know, it, it could be a little bit tougher to construct a team based on the constraints of the salary cap. And because the Penguins had have, you know, so much of the salary cap already locked up to Crosby and Malkin and, and Chris, guys like defenseman Chris Letang, you know, a lot of those teams can become handicapped by these large contracts that are handed out to these superstars. Uh, the Penguins, the, I think one of the reasons that they repeated in 16 and 17, they were very fortunate to have some depth come up from their minor league system. Uh, some depth guys like Brian Rust, uh, Jake Gensel, um, Connor Sherry, even uh, a name that Blues fans are familiar with, Oscar Sundquist, who I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit. But, you know, these cheap depth pieces were exactly what the Penguins needed to compliment a guy like a Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. And, you know, these guys, these young guys, guys like Rust and Gensel, who came into the league at only 22, 23 years old, they were obviously hungry. You know, they have never, that was the first time, you know, getting experience at the NHL level. They were really gearing up for their first professional playoff run. They were hungry. They were determined. And I think it really did, in the end, you know, when reflecting on that incredible run, it was enough that really motivated Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin to really capitalize, win those two, uh, win those two championships. Because here in Pittsburgh, you know, there there had been talk ever since the 09 Cup win that you know this team with the centerpieces of uh, of Mark Andre Fleury, Evgeny Malkin, and Sidney Crosby, that was the core that was probably going to create a dynasty they were going to win multiple championships and that drought between 2009 2000 and 2016 there was a a lot of pressure building up inside the penguins organization each year that came and went where they were eliminated and it didn't result in a stanley cup win or a stanley cup finals appearance it increasingly felt like it was even more and more of a failure as more and more media members here in pittsburgh and even fans were looking at this era and thinking to themselves, is this going to be an era wasted with all of this incredible talent? And fortunately for Penguins fans, um, it has 
been the exact opposite within these last couple of years to watch the success that they've had and to get off my soapbox because I know many, many fans who aren't Penguins fans, many hockey fans probably are sick and tired of hearing uh, a Penguin fan talk about all of their successes with everything like that. So just to get off my soapbox and, and switch the conversation back over to you as a Blues fan, who's probably experiencing this, you along with a lot of people in that fan base who are experiencing this for the first time in their life, for the first time in, in the franchise's history, you know, I really encourage everybody who who gets to this point to soak everything in because you may not get this opportunity again. You know, you would like to think that the, your team, your, the team that you root for is going to compete every year for a Stanley cup. And, you know, sometimes that just isn't the case. So for blues fans who are tired of watching the penguins have all of this success, I encourage everyone to soak in every moment and not take it for granted because it's just an incredibly fun thing to watch. Yeah, we talked about that uh, on one of our live shows um, uh, when the Stanley Cup, I think it was right before the Stanley Cup final. Um, we said, you know, for the teenagers listening, for the people who uh, maybe are new Blues fans in their 20s or um, even if there's any kids listening, you know, don't take this for granted. I mean, we have been, as I told you, I'm 34 years old. This is the first time I've seen the Blues in the Stanley Cup final. Um, I, my father uh, was someone who was a lifelong fan and he saw them go the first three years, but then never win a game. And, and, you know, it's just so many people I've talked to have been waiting for this moment for them to finally make it back to the Stanley cup final and uh, to witness it. It's like, it just, you can't take this for granted. Uh, my wife after game one was, was pretty upset about the loss to the Bruins. And, and I had to tell her, you know, Hey, listen, I, yes, it's upsetting. They should have won. They had a great first period, but at the end of the day, you know, still enjoy where this team is at right now because you never know if they're going to be back in it. I mean, you know, if you told someone uh, who's a fan back in 1970 that that team would not make it back to the final for 49 years, it would be hard to believe, but it's true, and especially with how the NHL continues to grow, um, you you nothing is guaranteed. I mean, we even though Pittsburgh has – quite the uh the core right now still in place that really could still challenge for more cups um you never know when that team could could be back in the final because it's just such a diverse league absolutely and you know to to your point um you know there are already rumblings you know within the penguins organization and things have already been you know sprouted out into the media here in Pittsburgh and I'm sure you you've you've probably seen that Phil Kessel is very likely to be traded, um, you know, probably by the time the NHL draft comes around in in late June, and it's already, the, you know, like you said, this team, uh, the Penguins, have have had that have had this core, and this core is now, you know, slowly starting to, I don't I don't know, fizzle out or deteriorate is the right term I'm looking for, but a guy like Phil Kessel who has been very, very successful. One of the top goal scorers that the, the, the league has seen in, in quite some time since he came into the league, you know, for him after winning, helping Pittsburgh get the two Stanley Cups, for him to pretty much be out the door already is a pretty disheartening and, and kind of sad thing to see as a Penguins fan because, you know, everyone has all of these fond memories of the 2016 and 2017 run. And now 
you know, things are slowly starting to crumble. I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, the penguins are doomed. The the window is closed and things are all doom and gloom here. I, I don't think that at all, but you know, it, it's uh, uh, again, just to your point, you, you don't know what's going to happen. What's going to come next as like you said, the NHL continues to grow and evolve. So uh, I mentioned 1970 was the last time the blues were in the Stanley cup final, but uh, that is where our blues and penguins discussion begins. And yes, this is obviously before, both mine and Garrett's time, but uh, something Garrett uh, made sure to tell me that we should discuss uh, happened that year in 1970, uh, specifically on January 3rd of uh, the 69-70 season. Uh, Penguins head coach Red Kelly, which uh, most people are probably familiar with, uh, he actually went out and purchased red, white, and white, red, white, black, and brown earmuffs for his players to wear during a game at the old St. Louis Arena also known as Checkerdome, also known as the Old Barn, whatever you want to call it here in St. Louis. Uh, Kelly, uh, the reason of this, and this is also uh, dubbed the Earmuff Game, Kelly was concerned about the St. Louis fans from the previous game there when the Penguins were shut out for nothing. He said, quote, one guy got pretty vicious last time. Uh, my guys won't have to hear the hecklers and won't be disturbed by them. Uh, talking about a game from November 13th. Uh, The Blues, although uh, he did make his players wear earmuffs during the game, uh, because keep in mind, players did not wear helmets in that time. Uh, The Blues scored five goals in the first 14 minutes and still won that game 6-0, thanks to Ernie Wakely with the uh, shutout there for the Blues. But uh, the earmuff game, definitely something Penguins fans remember, I hear. It's it's really funny to talk about this moment as a Penguins fan, because... um, you know, these two franchises coming into the league at the same time really almost immediately went on opposite ends of the spectrum. And like you said at the start of our conversation, the Blues came into the NHL and found some pretty immediate success, although they didn't win uh, the Stanley Cup. Within their first, I would say, I would think three to five years, you can back me up on this if, if, if the time frame is right. You know, the first three to five years of the Blues' existence in the NHL, they were a pretty successful club whereas the penguins really you know as this this example pretty much illustrates you know the penguins are really a laughing stock uh, of a franchise i mean they, they had a couple of bright spots and um really i think the penguins franchise would have went in a different direction had uh, one of their top prospects michelle briere not unfortunately unfortunately pass away in a car accident he was really one of the first um, prospects the Penguins had drafted early in their existence that, you know, the, the management had hopes that, you know, he would be able to elevate this team and make it sustainable and grow the game in Pittsburgh. Unfortunately, he passed away. And it really wasn't until the mid 80s, by the time, you know, Mario Lemieux came around in 84, that, you know, the seeds were slowly being planted and Pittsburgh was starting to become a name that and a team that many in NHL circles were you know starting to become familiar with they weren't that much of a laughing stock anymore and to see this earmuff game i mean it's it's hilarious because just the, the sight of these professional hockey players who are in, intimidated basically by the st louis crowd i i saw in, in the article it was a standing room only crowd in in, in the arena and you know it's just just hilarious because you wouldn't think that professional hockey players would have to wear earmuffs to drown out the the, the vulgar insults that might be hurled their way. And 
the, the earmuff experiment did not last long. I think it was, I think this might've been the only game in the Penguins history. There might've been a game or two after that, but this was really one of the only times that uh, this kind of experiment um, would be tested and it would be done away with very, very quickly after. Yeah, that's uh, that's not something to hear about. I guess that Midwestern hospitality did not translate over to uh, welcoming teams. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> yeah, not. That, that, uh, that's some crazy stuff. I love to I love to read the story on that, and and I will try to remember when I post this episode too. Uh, there is a there is the article you mentioned that uh, we both had read, and then uh, there's a great image in there as well. Um, that shows the players on the bench wearing earmuffs. So I will try my best to remember to uh, tweet that out when this episode airs. If you go to my Twitter and you don't see it, tweet me and tell me, hey, I want to see that article, Jeff, and I will I will make sure I get it out there for uh, anyone listening. Um, so you mentioned Mario Lemieux, and I, I do kind of want to talk about that. He's kind of known, at least around here, and, and I'm sure it's the same in Pittsburgh, as the savior of the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, a guy who basically you mentioned, you kind of touched on it there that Mario Lemieux, without him, the fr- the franchise never really seemed to be going anywhere. And then he arrives in '84, um, a big guy who can skate and has some of the best hands we've ever seen in the game, uh, and he comes in and, and saves the franchise. And, and of course, we get into uh, when he becomes the owner of the team and drafts Crosby and. All of a sudden, he's the savior again. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that it's, – it's funny. You talk to anyone, at least, again, in my experience, outside of Philadelphia, and and they'll tell you that they like Mario Lemieux. There are very few people out there who did not enjoy watching Mario Lemieux. And maybe you could make the uh, the, the excuse that, that Edmonton does it because they were Gretzky <laughs> people. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, you, know, you talk about the, the rivalries between – um, uh, Crosby and, and McDavid or Crosby and Ovechkin, you know, there's always the, the top bill of the players. Uh, back in the day, it was Gretzky Lemieux. And, uh, and Lemieux, to me, was a guy that if he stays healthy, he's battling Gretzky for every single record he won. Um, and I know that you're, you're a little bit of a younger fan, but I know you've seen the video, you've seen the uh, – You've read up on the history of the Penguins. You know about the legacy of Mario Lemieux. Um, just having a player like that within your organization only play for your franchise, uh, that's got to be something special for the, pan, the the fans of the Penguins. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you said, I'm I'm pretty pretty new and pretty young when it when it comes to to watching uh, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins and the success that they've had. Um, Mario Lemieux was a guy, uh, a player in my dad's time, you know, grow, growing up and watching hockey, getting accustomed to hockey in the, in the early eighties, when Lemieux was drafted, if you go and, and find some, some early, um, 1984 draft, uh, videos on, on YouTube, obviously Lemieux was going to be picked number one. And even before the draft, you know, if, if, uh, if any Penguin fan has done any research into the, the process of drafting Mario Lemieux, um, they they will find out that the 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 season in which they, that they they drafted Lemieux has become almost infamous and embroiled in in um, I would say um, immoral controversy because you know the 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 concept and aspect of tanking to get the number one overall pick um, you know that's been around in sports for quite a while now and it really hasn't gone away even with draft lotteries and such but. 
for the Penguins to get Mario Lemieux and, like you said, save that franchise. Because before Lemieux, uh, that the Penguins really were in pretty um, dire financial straits and really the, there was a really bleak outlook on this franchise and the, the future of hockey in Pittsburgh. Lemieux comes in, even though he was quite apprehensive to be drafted by the Penguins. Um, I remember I, I can visually see in my head uh, a close-up of Lemieux on draft night, and he just has the the blankest stare. He, he's not really smiling. He's not really – because, look, Lemieux, for everything that he had accomplished before he got into the NHL, he knew, everyone else knew that the Penguins were a laughing stock in the NHL. And, you know, it wasn't until he really decided to decided to take the mindset of, okay, I'm here. I know that the talent, I, I know the talent that I possess. I think I can help change this team, help change the fortunes of this of this team. And he did exactly that, starting from the first game that he ever played in a Penguins uniform up until the very last. And the history, like you said, playing that his entire career for this team, seeing everything that he has done for this franchise, both on the ice and off the ice. I am a firm believer. The only one of the only hockey jerseys I have as a 21-year-old who had never seen Mario Lemieux play whatsoever, the only real authentic hockey jersey I have is Mario Lemieux. And that I am not exaggerating uh, because I firmly believe Mario Lemieux, for as much as Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby have done for this team in recent years, Mario Lemieux is the, the most important person in the history of this franchise and will continue to be until this franchise or the NHL doesn't exist anymore. That's how much this one player this one fantastic player has meant to this team. And before I throw it back over to you, like you said, um, when we were when you were discussing Mario, unfortunately had the cancer and the chronic back problems not, you know, taken a couple of seasons off of Lemieux's career and really forced him into an early retirement. I completely agree with you. Going back and, and looking at Lemieux's stats and comparing them to Gretzky, watching highlight videos of Lemieux on YouTube, I mean it was I'm, you just don't have words to describe the kind of player Mario Lemieux was and I, I I believe with you too that Lemieux would have been up there with Gretzky competing for every single award that Gretzky had won because Lemieux and Gretzky were equals and some people here in Pittsburgh the Pittsburgh media circles Pittsburgh fan circles they'll tell you it might be a little bit of a biased view biased view excuse me um but even looking at the even looking at the facts, looking at the statistics, there are some that firmly believe that Lemieux would have easily eclipsed some of Gretzky's records had he stayed and played at the elite level that he was accustomed to before all the injuries. The only one that I look at that, that matters to me, honestly, is you know the fact that uh, Wayne Gretzky reached the 200-point mark twice. The only other player to sniff that was Mario Lemieux at 199 points. That's impressive. And, you know, we can compare eras in the NHL, you know, and, you know, we can talk about the the pros and cons of today's NHL, um, much more low scoring and much lower point totals compared to, um, you know, what guys like Gretzky and Lemieux were doing. And, you know, if you want to get really into it and adjust, you know, some analytics and adjust for eras, what a guy like uh, Vladimir Tarasenko or Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, what the superstars of today would have done in an era such as that, where point totals were were heavily, you know, heavily increased, like like we were just like you just mentioned, and it really does speak to the testament of the power that 
Gretzky and Lemieux both had as individual players, and they were both faces of this of this league for the better part of 20, 15 to 20, 25 years. So I want to talk a little bit more about uh, Mario Lemieux in the sense of uh, his his time against the St. Louis Blues. Um, and this is a game that I know Blues fans still reference to this day, at least ones that uh, were around at this time. Uh, March 26, 1996 is a game that stands out because Wayne Gretzky had just been acquired by the Blues. So, so he got the greatest player of all time playing on the Blues. And guess what? The Pittsburgh Penguins are soon coming to town. So you're going to, as long as Lemieux plays and he's healthy, you've got the matchup of Gretzky versus Lemieux, which is uh, always a marquee matchup back in those days, even though this was slightly past the two players' prime. Um, so Mario Lemieux comes in, you think, okay, Lemieux's going to play great, Gretzky's going to play great, what are we going to get here? This is going to be quite the night. Mario Lemieux makes the Blues look foolish, as he did against many teams, scores five goals against the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Gretzky, um, I don't have the stats in front of me. I should have. I'm, I'm a bad I'm a bad host, but uh, <laughs> I know that uh, oh, Gretzky had one assist for the Blues uh, in that game. So, again, you know, obviously Gretzky gets the last laugh with uh, the multiple Stanley Cups and the, uh, um, you know, the, the, all the records. But at the same time, this head-to-head matchup, which we are talking about today, uh, Mario Lemieux gets the big win, and uh, you watch some of the goals that, uh, which you can look them up on YouTube from that night. Uh, just some vintage Mario Lemieux stuff. I I completely agree, and I had a chance to watch the uh, the video that you had presented to me before we went on air, and I was watching again, um, just watching any sort of Mario Lemieux highlight. It's just fascinating, and it's funny because I I had I was doing a little bit of my own research. Uh, from the bullet points that you had provided to me. And I I was looking in trying to reflect and trying to see where the Penguins were uh, in, I believe it was the 95, 96 season. Uh, The game that we're talking about was in, in late March, I believe it was, but looking at, um, you know, looking at where Mario Lemieux was as a, as a, as a person and as a player in 96, I, I believe that was the year that he had come out of retirement and you know he was it, it's it's great it's just awesome to see because everything is so docu- so well documented here in Pittsburgh of Lemieux's struggles and this five goal game against St. Louis w- was just you know putting another example in Lemieux's resume of even like you said both players were relatively past their primes their peaks as athletes uh for Lemieux to put that team on his back again and score five goals, and the, the goals that Lemieux scored, I mean, they were, they were. It's just so, it's so great to watch the 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 Lemieux Gretzky matchup is probably akin to what McDavid and Crosby would be today. Although you could put an asterisk by it because Connor McDavid hasn't, you know, hasn't really done anything yet. But going back to the point of that game, the five goal game, I, I I was watching. I felt so bad for 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 John Casey just getting getting dusted. <laughs> Left, right, and center by by Mario Lemieux. It was the Mario Lemieux show, and I, I believe yeah, I believe the Penguins took that game. Uh, I, I I can't remember eight to four, eight to four. Yeah, so I I knew it was a relatively high scoring game, but to basically keep Gretzky off the score sheet, where on the other side Lemieux goes and scores five goals, and and <laughs> puts the team on his back basically. Um, 
like I said, it's just another instance of Mario Lemieux's greatness. Even after everything that Lemieux had been through in his personal life, uh, coming back from the the, the injuries and, and cancer and such, it was just a, a great moment to watch for for as a Penguin fan. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I was rolling through some of the highlights there as, as you were talking and, and just seeing some of the stuff this guy could do. I mean, it's not even – and to me, and that's the thing I always loved about Lemieux was – he was it just was effortless to me. Um, you know, Gretzky, he would pull some of the stuff that's what? But then you, a lot of times you would see Lemieux skate down the wing or, or uh, uh, carry it to the center or find somebody in the slot for a, a great assist. And you look at him and you say, well, I could do that. He's not doing anything that impressive, but it's just he's so pinpoint. And he, he knew exactly always where to put the puck, whether it was a pass or a shot. And and just a and just again, this is an effortless looking skater. He always looked like to me he wasn't really skating his hardest, but he was such a big guy that those long strides he got could get him anywhere on the ice anytime he wanted to go there. Absolutely. I and as you were uh, describing Lemieux, I, I I myself was going back and looking at the highlights of this game and uh just looking at the first goal Lemieux scored basically between the skates of of John Casey, it it's it's not really some like super flashy goal by any stretch of the imagination, but the pinpoint accuracy, and maybe it's a little bit of luck. I you know I can't really tell from a couple of the angles does the puck hit Casey's skate or or bounce in any weird direction. But still, the pinpoint accuracy to go basically between the legs, between the skates of Casey to find the back of the net. I think there's a, another goal later on in the game where he's I think he's skating up the the left wing side, basically all by himself. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a couple of defenders who might be draped behind him, but he just goes and like you said, he just does his business and it looks so effortless. And I think part of that is, like you said, he is a massive guy with a massive frame, but it's just, it, he makes it look so smooth and effortless. It's just amazing to watch 20 plus years later. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's still, to me, I still see his, the way he played the game, and you know, I know that this game is all about speed, but he's still got the size, he's still got the the hands. I think if you you take him and you place him in today's game, he's still easily a hundred point scorer. I mean, he's he was just that good at that time. Now you can make the same case for Gretzky, I'm sure, but uh, just man, I love the way Lemieux was one of the guys that I grew up watching as a kid, and I said, that's the kind of player I want to be. That's the kind <laughs> I, if I could have. And obviously, here is, is a, a very that yes, anybody would say this. If I can have a a, a team of Mario Lemieux, I'm going <laughs> to win a cup twenty years in a row. I mean, just the type of player he was. He's everything you want in a player. Absolutely, and you know, like you said, the, the the size and the skill is one thing. The way he the way he conducted himself on and off the ice as well. You know, um, like we had talked about before, he basically gave his entire adult life and he's still giving his life to this team coming into Pittsburgh at 18 years old uh, as a young uh, as a young Quebec teenager you know coming into a coming into Pittsburgh with really no hope of success in sight and for him to still be involved with this franchise after everything that he's gone through personally and professionally to save this team on multiple occasions, like you said at the start of the conversation. Um, I give everything to Mario Lemieux for 
helping save hockey in Pittsburgh and keeping hockey as popular as it is in Pittsburgh today? So this game that I'm uh, talking about, first of all, I mentioned earlier that they were in St. Louis. That is incorrect. The, 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 the jerseys fooled me at the time because uh, the Blues were wearing their white jerseys, which at the time meant home, but they were actually in Pittsburgh for this game. Uh, so uh, I want to mention something else in this game. This is really more of what Blues fans remember this game for. The uh, game that Tony Twist was defeated. This was a, a, a player that you saw win countless fights. Uh, for my money, the greatest fighter in NHL history. I know some would argue that, but uh, the guy was just just a, 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 a tank. Um, he ended up getting in a fight in this game with Francois LaRue, another tough guy in the NHL. LaRue got the better of him, bloodied him up. Um, I mean, this is this was the, the game, for those that remember it, there's a, a famous picture of Twist going after him with his jersey off. And, I mean, his entire face is covered with blood. I mean, LaRue got a couple good shots on him and uh, made him, I think, a little uh, – uh, made him question where he was maybe for a little bit. Uh, at this time, I think that, uh, you know, if the, that fight happened today, I don't think you'd see twists in an NHL game for a couple, probably a couple months. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, at the time, I don't think the concussion protocol was, uh, was, was what it is today. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, again, I don't know if this is a, a remembered fight in Penguins history, but for the Blues, this was a big one because Tony, Tony Twist finally got his ass handed to him. And as you were as you were just setting the scene, I, I had a chance to go back and quickly rewatch the fight. And like you said, both of these guys are huge, big bodied, big bodied players. And you know, I can you can easily see Francois Larue. Um, you know, when they start the fight, he takes his glove off. He takes his gloves off. He has, ta- he has tape on his knuckles. It looks like he's been spoiling for a fight basically this entire game. And this was relatively, I would say this is a relatively one-sided fight. Uh, once Twist goes down, you know, he, he tries to get back up and go right back after, uh, go right back after LaRue. And, and the referees are trying to, they're doing everything they can to separate the players at one point i think a referee falls down and like you said uh twist was bloodied at, at by the end of the video by the end of the fight it was i don't know if like because this was before my time i'm not sure if this is so fondly remembered you know as a as a major you know a major uh, memory for Penguins fans. If you know this is something that they look back on and think of Francois Larue as this massive tough guy, and you know that was one of the memories he we have as him as a Pittsburgh Penguin. But um, it it was certainly a fight to behold. I will say that. And then I'm sure we're going to go straight into part two, the sequel of this saga, and Blues fans and and Tony Twist gets his revenge very shortly. Yeah, I mean that was something that uh, I remember. I remember this game, and I remember um, again. I mentioned my father earlier. I remember him telling me, like, "Okay, well, I'm excited for the Blues to uh, to to meet the Penguins next year uh, because Twist is going to get his revenge." And I mean, it was something where you basically circled the Blues and Penguins uh, the first meetup uh, the next season in '96 uh, '97. Uh, you circled it on your calendar because you knew Twist was going to go after him. And, uh, well, he did. <laughs> did he not? <laughs> that was that was rough. I mean, it was um, 
LaRue wasn't as willing as of a combatant this time around. So I think he knew the the fire and anger that was driving inside a twist and uh uh twisted uh I mean he did everything he could to get to get him to drop the gloves and he got him twice the next season on uh, November nineteenth. So really just a couple months later, uh I'm sure that fight's still fresh in, in Twist and Lemieux's or uh Twist in LaRue's minds. And I, I'm, I was going ahead and, and watching this highlight back again as well. And the, the first, the first bout, uh, LaRue looks like he wanted, it's, he probably knew going into this game that, all right, I, what am I going to expect from, from Tony twist here? Is he going to come with some retribution on me? And the first, the first incident, I, I, I think the commentators said that LaRue like basically went into a turtle, like a turtle shell and, basically didn't do anything there was no offense whatsoever and so turn turn about you know twist gets his gets his revenge and you could say he probably got the the last laugh here uh (laughs) getting getting the the sweet revenge after getting embarrassed as like you had mentioned i mean because i'm sure back then the reputation of 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 an enforcer of a tough guy like Twist, I'm sure it carried probably, I would think, in, in my opinion, some more merit than it does in today's game. So getting upstaged like that by LaRue the first time around, if I was in situ- if I was in that situation and I had the exact same build as Twist or LaRue, if I was in Twist's situation after getting dusted the first time, I'd probably I'd probably go after Larue again after what he did to me. That doesn't escape my memory all all that easily. So, I mean, different different, different times, different eras. I, you could say what you want about fighting in today's game. I don't I don't care for fighting. I don't think it should be abolished or anything like that. I think it's part of the game. But but going back to this fight, I mean, th- this was this was revenge. This was retribution in in its purest form for Tony Twist. I think. Well, and this is the type of fight we don't see anymore, the heavyweight battles. No. You know, you don't you don't have the enforcer, the Tony Twist, the even the Francois LaRue in the uh, the NHL anymore. So you're not gonna see this kind of stuff. But I will say, I mean, I mentioned the the image, the bloody image of Tony Twist um on that game in, in nineteen ninety-six. And then um for and then for those that have seen the video or want to rewatch it, it's on YouTube. Um it's just watching the linesman just grab on for dear life to twist to just try and stop. I mean, he's literally holding onto his leg, trying to get him to stop from going back after LaRue. Uh, it's just, it's an era that, that is definitely gone. We're not probably ever going to see it in the NHL again, but uh, my God, that is uh, yeah, that is something the blues fans remember. So I was interested to see if, if it was something that uh, Penguins fans still kind of hang a hat on. Hey, we're we're the one team that one time defeated Tony Twist, <laughs> <laughs> even though it was round one of three. I guess. I, yeah, I'm sure uh, if you go and talk to talk to older fans who were around and watch that game, you know, I, they they might carry a similar sentiment like, like you and like Blues fans. So uh, talking about tough guys, uh, obviously we said that this is not something that uh, we really see in the NHL anymore, but you still have the guys who are, uh, you know, crashers and bangers and, and guys that can, uh, you know, carry their weight around. And one of those guys is Robert Bertuzzo, and uh, he is currently a St. Louis Blue. Uh, he was re-signed for another season uh, earlier in uh, 2019, so he will be back most likely. 
uh, for 2019-2020 for the Blues. Those may not remember, he was actually originally acquired from the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, where he uh, got his, his, his start from. Uh, March 2nd, 2015, the Blues traded one of their top prospects, a guy that they had played a little bit, uh, in Ian Cole for Robert Bertuzzo and a seventh-round pick. Um, at the time, I remember questioning this trade a little bit because Cole was more of a puck-moving defenseman. Um, and you thought, okay, that's somebody that fits his, fits hit. Ah, I can't talk. Fits Ken Hitchcock's style, uh, and you thought, okay, maybe they're just wanting to get a little tougher by adding Bertuzzo, a guy who can, uh, as I said, a little taller, a little bigger, uh, wider frame, can definitely throw his weight around. And uh, I will say now, and I know that uh, Ian Cole didn't stick around the Penguins; he did win him a cup uh, as well, part of the cup winning team, but. Um, Robert Bertuzzo has turned out to be pretty good for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, what was the reaction like in Pittsburgh when this trade went down? Uh, at the at the time, um, it, see, it depends because th- there are some hockey fans who hold the belief that um, you know you need a little bit of toughness on the back end, and that's exactly the kind of defenseman that Bertuzzo was—that you know, tough kind of grinding defenseman. Being traded for, like you said, like you said, a puck moving defenseman like Ian Cole. This was really one of the first moves of, not of Jim Rutherford's tenure as general manager, but one of the first moves that I can think back to and think that was one of the one of the pieces, not a huge piece, but one of the pieces that was put into place that helped them win that 2015-16, the first Stanley Cup. Um, because when when Mike Sullivan came and replaced Mike Johnston, the kind of uh, the kind of scheme and style that uh, Sullivan deployed heavily relied on, um, you know, um, smooth skating, puck controlling players from both his forwards and his defense. And Ian Cole fit the bill. I was, you know, I I always liked Ian Cole as a defenseman. I think he could fit the the top four slash top six role as a defender whenever you needed him. And I think the thing that I'll remember him the most for, obviously that that cup run is, is pretty important. I'll remember his pairing with um with Justin Schultz combining round rounding out that top four uh defense with uh Chris Letang and and Brian Dumoulin. He was an incredibly steady force. He really he was never going to be an offensive minded defenseman. He was never going to put up, you know, 10 to 15 goals a season from the point, but for the role that, that Ian Cole was given, I thought that he fit the bill perfectly up until the day he was traded. Not a big move in, uh, in history. There's a little mark I put in here and I guess I'll just reference it because it's, you know, it's, uh, I guess it's interesting for blues fans and, and something that I'm sure penguins fans probably didn't really care about at the time. November 25th, uh, Sidney Crosby uh, had scored two goals against the St. Louis Blues. He would, That was the last team Crosby had not scored a point against. So uh, that was interesting for Blues fans. I remember every time the Penguins came to town, the Blues were going to Pittsburgh. That was the story. Will, will Crosby finally score against us? Will he finally get a point against us? And uh, it finally happened on November 25th of 2015. Was that a story at all in Pittsburgh when that happened? Yeah, if I can remember correctly, it – was I don't know if it was a, a big you know like running joke or, or running gag inside the locker room or you know within the fans, but 
I remember, maybe it's just because of the way that, you know, I, I look at Crosby's stats and everything like that. I remember that he, you know, the Blues were the last team that he never scored against. And it was brought up quite frequently, quite frequently, um, you know, when when listening to the, the Penguins broadcast on television or radio. So it was it was brought up here and there. And, you know, looking at the kind of player that Crosby was, and Crosby still is, you know, he's incredibly driven and motivated. He's an incredibly, he's a quiet athlete, but at the same time, he was incredibly determined and focused. And I have to think this was not something that was impeding his play or something that like was in the front of his mind, but it was, it was a, it was a chip that probably got lifted off his shoulder once he scored that, that, that goal. And from a Penguins fan's perspective, it was it was a, quite a pretty goal too. Watching Crosby shoot with a slap shot because it's something that, especially now, Crosby and slap shots don't really go together. Uh, so you know, it was and, and the goal too was served up on a rather a silver platter for Crosby. It was just standing there, right in basically right in front of the goaltender. I think it was off an errant pass by a Blues defender, and it was just standing there ready for Crosby to take and 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 drive home. So. It was, I, I'm sure for Crosby, it was just, you know, another, you know, you know, another, um, another stat in the column, another thing to check off the box of things to do that's left to accomplish in the NHL for Sidney Crosby. But yeah, I, I'm sure for Crosby, it was nice to finally have that nice, that, that nice round number of, of accumulating a point or, or scoring against every team in the league. So, again, I mentioned earlier that uh, there's one more big trade I wanted to talk about before uh, we close up shop here on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, that uh, is one that I know um, uh, one of my co-hosts mentioned that I'd make sure to talk about with you. Uh, that is June 23rd, 2017, draft day. You mentioned this a little bit earlier. Uh, the Blues traded their tough guy in Ryan Reeves in a 2017 second-round pick for Oscar Sundquist in the 2017 first round pick for the Penguins, which the Blues used to select Clem Costin. Uh, when this trade went down, I'll, I'll speak my piece first. Um, I was ecstatic. Um, and I know that my co-hosts were the same. Many Blues fans were ecstatic. We were sad to see Ryan Reeves go. He was a fan favorite and just a, a good all-around guy to have on your roster. But um, anytime, and, and this is something we said multiple times that summer on our shows, Anytime you can trade a fourth round player for a first round pick, even if it's the 31st pick, you do it every time. And uh, that's exactly what the Blues did here. Uh, a genius move by Doug Armstrong. This was the same year he unloaded uh, Laterra for um, uh, Braden Shen in, in Philadelphia. So he, uh, he really kind of fleeced uh, the state of Pennsylvania uh, at the draft in this one. And it was uh, so. It, so you look at this trade when it happened, and Sunquist was kind of an afterthought for the Blues fans, at least the Blues side. Um, I know there's a, a one of our partner podcasts, one of the uh, the Blues podcasts. Uh, they had mentioned um, they didn't like this trade because they didn't like Ryan Reeves leaving. Um, he had a uh, a special spot on the team that that the fans loved, that the players loved, and uh, they didn't want to see that toughness go and. And I remember we, we kind of all went back and forth with each other. You know, are you kidding me? Really? Like, you got a first-round pick for him. So, yeah, you're excited about Clint Costin. But here we are in 2019. Let's put it like this. We don't call it the Ryan Reeves trade anymore. We call it the Oscar Sundquist trade. I mean, 
that guy has turned out to be everything that we've wanted in a, in a, in a fourth line player. He can slot in on your second line just fine. He's maybe what he lacks in speed. He has skill. He has uh, tenacity. He has toughness. He has everything you want to play. Great hands. Um, and uh, I want to go ahead and reference something a uh, uh, current Blues broadcaster and former Penguins, who we'll talk about here in a little bit, Joe Vitale said uh, earlier this season about a conversation he had with Sidney Crosby. Uh, Crosby said, quote, Joe, we never should have gotten rid of this kid. This kid is unbelievable. Wait until you see what this kid can do. And then Joe continues, and man, in the last three or four weeks, and this was in uh, about February of this year, the last three or four weeks, he's just done nothing but continue to improve, continue to mature. His speed is evident on the ice. He's a responsible two-way centerman. He's back-checking. He's chipping in offensively. He's physical. He's one of the main reasons why our penalty kill is so good. So, again, Oscar Sundquist and and getting praise from Sidney Crosby. I remember he said something about that, that along those same lines when the trade happened, too. So, Crosby saw the player that Sundquist could turn out to be, but unfortunately, GM Jim Rutherford did not. Oh, boy. Uh, this is <laughs> this is a tough one for me personally. I think you can look at the trade one of two ways. You look at the trade, and it, I think it depends on the kind of hockey fan you are and the kind of hockey you like to see on the ice. You look at the trade – if you're in favor of Ryan Reeves and the kind of player he is, you think this is a great trade. This is exactly what we need. The you know the Penguins need some toughness and some grit and a fourth line player like Ryan Reeves to to combat any any sort of um, any sort of dirty or unnecessary play from opposing players or uh, opposing uh, opposing players who are trying to take it out on Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin. You look at Ryan Reeves in a positive light like that. You, you and at the time, Penguins fans were looking at a guy like Oscar Sundquist and thinking, "There's just no room for him here because Crosby and Malkin are untouchable. They're they're you know that's first line, second line. On the third line, it was um, oh, I'm drawing a blank here. I don't think it was Nick Bonino. I think Nick Bonino was yeah. Nick Bonino was gone at that point. So, um. Was it Derek Broussard? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, yeah. Derek Broussard came in. Yeah, thank you for that. He came in. Derek Broussard was going to, you know, he was probably going to be that third line center and, you know, continue in that model that the Penguins like having the the top three centers be a legitimate threat with each, which each line, you have a legitimate chance to score with each line. And on the fourth line, I think that spot belonged to Matt Cullen at the time. And, Jim Rutherford and many in the Penguins locker room, you know, they liked Matt Cullen and, you know, they even playfully playfully referred to him as dad because, you know, he's the elder statesman compared to everyone else in that locker room. It's the experience factor. You know, it's, it's the, the chemistry, the room factor, whatever you want to call it. So you look at it from a positive and you think, all right, we're getting this tough, we're getting this grinder. And Jim Rutherford, I remember, tried to sold, sold, sell Penguins fans on the fact that this isn't just a meathead. This guy can skate. He can chip in a little bit offensively. You know, this would be the perfect addition to our bottom six. And, you know, some fans were in favor of that. That's what they wanted. They didn't want liberties being taken against Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and the superstars. On the other hand, 
And I would probably fall into this category as a fan, just of the kind of hockey I like to see. I was of the mindset watching the, the, the success that the Penguins had had previously. They won championships because of speed and skill, not because of sandpaper and grit and tenacity and toughness. And so I was a firm believer that that, that, that kind of philosophy, you could have continued um, and you could have evolved, even though Sidney Crosby and Malkin, they weren't getting any younger and they were probably getting a little bit slower here and there, but you still could have evolved and added very valuable, cheap depth pieces that fit that mold of speed and skill, unlike uh, Ryan Reeves and his um, his set of skills, which is completely different. It, it was a completely different change in philosophy for whatever reason, and I was not a fan of this trade. The night it happened, I, I remember going on Twitter and, and getting everyone's mixed reactions on my timeline, and people were saying, it's not really a first-round pick. They were they were picking 31st, and you know they're, 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 that's no different from picking in the second round. And I was excited because the Penguins, they were always, they were always dealing their first round picks. They were always trading them at the trade deadline for, for reinforcements, for depth, for, for star players to help boost for the impending Stanley cup run. So the Penguins, they, they never had any first round picks. I was excited to see, you know, where the scouting department would would go here with this coveted first round pick and to get that notification that popped up. I was, I was upset to say the least. Then, you know, to see the kind of player we traded for a first round pick, a fourth line player for a first round pick. And again, people are going to put an asterisk by that and say, it's not really a first round pick. It, well, according to the NHL, it's a first-round pick no matter how late it is, and you guys ended up taking that pick and selecting uh, Costin with it. And to think that he could be a Pittsburgh Penguin right now over Ryan Reeves, it's something that I look back on quite frequently, especially now that the Penguins are in the offseason and they're preparing to probably move Phil Kessel. It's this change in philosophy, for whatever reason, by Jim Rutherford that I don't agree with at all. And it's, you could say, you could pinpoint this and look back and say, this was the the start of, you know, I don't want to say the downfall, that sounds too extreme, but this was the start of where this philosophy that won new championships was changing to get tougher and, and more grit for, to, to protect your stars. And I know from reading articles and, and getting sound bites and, and stuff like that from in the room from Crosby and Malkin, they were a fan of Ryan Reeves while he was here. They were a fan of the kind of player he was and what he did for them on the ice. You know, the, the, the I think the big reason why they traded for Reeves was particularly for Tom Wilson and the Washington Capitals. And, um, you know, obviously you get you, the, the blues fans know from experience and now penguins fans know the Reeves was exactly the kind of player that would have counteracted um, Tom Wilson's kind of, you know, physical, some obviously may call it cheap and dirty, that style of play, taking cheap shots at star players. But the, the, the fact still remains that they traded a first round pick for a fourth line player. They also traded, like you said, I haven't even brought up Oscar Sundquist's name. Looking at what he's doing now for the St. Louis Blues, it's like, I sit there and, you know, I, I look at highlights on Twitter of Oscar Sundquist scoring goals as a depth player. And I'm thinking, 
Jim Rutherford traded this player for Ryan Reeves, and Ryan Reeves wasn't even in a Penguins uniform for a full season. He was traded at the next year's trading deadline to Vegas. They traded that's, Oscar. No, and, and, and I'm going to jump in real quick because no, that's no. what surprises me the most is the fact that that I felt like that even though the Penguins had won a championship or the or, you know just a couple weeks before that trade goes down, they they go out and they get Reeves for a playoff run for hey. Yeah, you know, if, if players are – because Rutherford had been talking uh, during the playoffs that players are taking liberties on their star players. So he went out at the draft to got a player to prevent that in the postseason. But then he moves him before the next postseason. That is what surprised me the most. And, you know, we, we look at it now. Penguins fans look at it now in, in 2019, right before this year's draft. And – some fans are going to say that Jim Rutherford is immune from criticism because he won Pittsburgh uh, two Stanley Cups that they really almost desperately needed because this this core of Crosby and Malkin was going to be looked at a fa- looked at as a failure really had they only won the one Stanley Cup. So people around Pittsburgh look at Jim Rutherford as a hero for constructing two Stanley Cup winning teams, and credit to Jim Rutherford for for you know making i would say making more good transactions and more you know good trades compared to bad trades and i would classify the reeves trade as a bad trade you know they did trade for Derek broussard um as a matter of fact i believe reeves was reeves was in the trade he that sent him to vegas that brought Derek broussard here to pittsburgh from ottawa so okay so yeah so yeah we we trade ryan reeves for Derek broussard what six seven months after we trade for him at the nhl draft so he's not here to even finish out the season and go into the postseason like you said and i guess the point i'm trying to get at here is that i'm not going to speak for every penguins fan and say that you know the take the rose colored glasses off now we're we're two years removed from the last stanley cup and at least in my view I look at the transactions that Jim Rutherford has made, and he's been all over the place as general manager, uh, making transactions, signing free agents like Antti Niemi and Matt Hunwick um, and Derek Grant. These are all players that are not here anymore, and these are relatively recent signings. It's how quickly, and Jack Johnson was another one. Um, I mean, it was it was a pretty big move that they made last summer to bring in Jack Johnson for the term, for the contract length and the amount of money that they signed him for. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, has Jim Rutherford lost his mind? Like, has he gone off his rocker? I don't mean to sound incredibly selfish towards Jim Rutherford because I know what he's brought to this city. But at the same time, like looking at it from the other side of the river, like this is you're going against everything that made you successful and now looking at where the Penguins are heading into this year's draft, it's and they're they're talking of moving Phil Kessel, who's a beloved player here in Pittsburgh, and did everything that was asked of him to bring two championships here to Pittsburgh as well. And people are starting to realize that, you know, maybe Jim Rutherford isn't this almighty savior of the Pittsburgh Penguins that everyone thought he was in 2016 and 17. And, you know, just to circle back around and I guess put a bow on this 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 conversation with the Reeves trade. I think it, it starts there. It starts there. It starts at the Reeves trade. That that slow decline 
that Penguins fans are still seeing to this day as we're talking heading into the 2019 draft. And it's just, it's something that I regret. I don't know if Jim Rutherford regrets it. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know him personally, but looking at the player that Oscar Sundquist has become, looking at the player that the Blues drafted with the first round pick that the Penguins gave them for Ryan Reeves, what the Penguins could have done had Jim Rutherford stayed the course and not worried about a guy like Tom Wilson, we'll never know, unfortunately. But I guess it is what it is. You have to accept it and move on. And Penguins fans are probably going to have to accept that Phil Kessel is not going to be a Pittsburgh Penguin um, for much longer as that transaction is coming up and probably going to shake the team again. Yeah, you sound like uh, I've talked to people back when Rutherford was uh, GM of the the Hurricanes a couple of years ago. Um, There was talks then that, hey, he brought a cup here. That's great. But outside of that, he hasn't made any right moves. So it's starting to sound like the same thing is happening there in Pittsburgh. with Exactly. And correct me if I'm wrong, if if he won the Stanley Cup in, what, 2006, I believe it was? Yes, yes. And so he was there for almost a decade as the general manager of that team. And like you said, fans in Carolina were, you know, they were starting to take those those rose-tinted glasses off of, oh, hey, he won us a cup. That's great. That's all we ask for is to win a Stanley Cup. Well, 10 years into that tenure as general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes, and he was ousted pretty quickly. And fans in Carolina were like, all right, finally, let's get another guy in the general manager chair to see if he can do anything better than Jim Rutherford did. Because after that cup in 2006, the Carolina Hurricanes were basically a a lower tier team, a team of mediocrity, really. Besides the 2009 run, I remember the Penguins going against the Hurricanes in 2009. But after that, I mean, the Hurricanes didn't do anything after their cup win. They didn't do anything. No, they didn't. So, but yeah, like you said, I think fans here are starting to see what fans in Carolina were seeing at the end of Jim Rutherford's tenure there. And the thing about Pitt, the, the thing about Jim Rutherford's tenure here now is that they just signed him to a three-year extension in like November or December of last year. So it looks like Jim Rutherford has the car keys and he may not give them up until he himself is ready to say, all right, it's time to step out of the car. It's time to go enjoy retirement, which could be a scary thing. If, if you look at the penguins, like I look at the penguins, you know, I, the last thing I want is for this team to spiral downward in the last years of Crosby and Malkin. And look from a penguins fans perspective, if you look at the penguins prospect list and the penguins farm system and the, and the AHL, there are not a lot of bright spots in that farm system. Let me tell you from experience. And that's just the part of business that comes with, with competing for championships every year in a salary cap, in a salary cap league. You know, I understand that that's just part of doing business, trading away that first round pick. Now, fortunately the penguins do have their first round pick for this year's draft, but, you know, it's it's been it's been quite a while since the Penguins have had a first round pick. So I'm not entirely sure what to think. You know, where where will the Penguins go in this year's draft? I, I are, are they going to draft another defenseman like they did in last year's draft with their first pick in the second round? I are, are they going to take a forward prospect? I think they should take a forward prospect to try and restock the forward, you know, the, the, the forward rankings down there in the AHL as much as they can, because. You know, as much as I love Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, they're both 33 years old or 33 and 34 years old. So 
time is time is ticking and they're closer to the ends of their careers than they are at the beginning as sad as it is for me to say but it, it, I guess it's just a wait and see kind of thing for Penguins fans to see what's going to happen at the draft, what's going to happen in free agency. How is this team going to look uh, at the start of the 2019, 2020 season? It's going to be very interesting. Garrett, uh, great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on here. There is one more thing that I want to ask you about before we wrap this up. Uh, Blues current broadcaster for the radio, Mr. Joey Vitale, St. Louis native. A uh, big fan of his on the radio when he started this year. I think uh, it was uh, there was a lot of people questioning if, if he was going to work out. But I think anyone who's heard his calls in the playoffs is um, uh, the way he's been able to uh, commentate uh, with Chris Kerber by his side, the Blues radio play-by-play guy. He's been the man for the job. I've been a big fan of his uh, the last couple months. I think he's coming into his own. But you saw him as a player in Pittsburgh. And obviously he wasn't a Sidney Crosby of Guinea Malkin, more of a depth piece. But um, uh, as far as I can remember from seeing him play, he was a face-off guy. He was a penalty killer. Um, what was his game like there in Pittsburgh? Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. Um, he was uh, he, he was a penalty killer and a face-off guy. He was a very valuable depth piece from what I can remember. He obviously spent the bulk of his professional career in the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, because it has been a couple of years since he's been affiliated with the organization, I think he, ha- he like, and you even brought up that interview uh, that he had, or that 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 short uh, clip that he had with Crosby talking about Sunquist. So the relationships that, Vitaly has with Crosby I think it, it, it is pretty strong if I'm not mistaken if I remember correctly but you know I, I'm looking at Joe Vitaly's point totals and you know from 2011 to 2013-14 while he was here you know he was a he was a third slash fourth liner a 15 to 20 point guy primarily a penalty kill you know a, a, a very reliable body on the penalty kill you know he would chip in offensively here and there. And, you know, that's what you would expect, what I would expect at least from, from a depth guy like Vitaly. You know, he, like you said, he was never going to be a Sidney Crosby-esque player and not a, not a lot of people are in, in the NHL. So, right. you know, for him to carve out the career that he has um, and spend the bulk of it with, with the Penguins, you know, although he came in, he came in in 2010, 2011, Although he was with the organization in 2008, 2009, when the Penguins won their uh, their first uh, ch- the first Stanley Cup in the Crosby Malkin years, um, he really I don't think he really experienced that. He didn't experience his first like um, NHL action until the 2010, 11 season, really. But you know, while he was here, I had no qualms with, with Joe Vitale's play. Uh, I thought he was a very serviceable, very serviceable depth penalty kill guy. And, you know, he, he fit that bill perfectly. That was his role. He knew that was his role and he filled it well. I, I, I would, yeah, I would have quite fond memories of Joe Vitale and, you know, his role as a penalty killer. And, you know, now that I look at it, he, I believe he's a St. Louis boy himself, you know, his hometown is St. Louis. So I think I, I'm not sure because I, you know, obviously I'm not there, but was it kind of a, I don't know if it was a homecoming for him. For you know to come back to the team, and now he, like you said, he's doing broadcasts with the the uh, the the Blues organization. So I don't know if it was more or less like a homecoming feeling, you know, to be back where he grew up or anything like that. But yeah, I have nothing nothing bad to say about Joe Vitale or what he did in Pittsburgh. 
Yeah, he, uh, he, well, unfortunately, his career ended a little early. He had a, a concussion issue. There's actually, um, I don't really want to promote this, but on YouTube, that you can look up the hit that ended his career, unfortunately, when he was with the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, really tough stuff to watch, really. But, um, yeah, he, he called it a career, made the smart choice, and said, okay, I'm, I'm done. Uh, he moved back to St. Louis, where he's from, and he started, uh, you know, kind of, just playing, uh, you know, like I know I have a I know a crew of people he plays with every Tuesday morning, and uh, you know got to know the right people in the hockey biz, and, and I'm sure he already obviously had his connections as well. And uh, when Kelly Chase, the old Blues uh, uh, color commentator for the radio, decided to step down, they began the search, and from what I heard, Joey Vitale was one of the top guys always in the uh, the top ranks of someone they wanted to bring in because of his hockey knowledge and uh, just his, his know-how of the game and um, uh, kind of how he's been an ambassador for hockey for all the St. Louis kids coming up. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what it was like. And, and when he got uh, hired, I know there was obviously the, the, the Blues fans that maybe only pay attention to the postseason may not have heard who he w- was because he never played for the Blues or even really played for any of their rivals. But um Everyone knows who he is now because he's, uh, like I said, he's making a name for himself on the radio. He has his own unique calls. And uh, uh, from what I hear, um, I mean, I, I, I met him years ago when he was still in the NHL. I haven't talked to him since. But um, uh, from what I heard, he's just an excellent guy, that, uh, that uh, a teammate, that, that everyone in St. Louis, all the, all the players, all the fans, everyone in the organization love being around. So uh, I just wanted to ask what his legacy was like in Pittsburgh. So it's Sounds like it's about the same. Yeah, I mean, I don't think really anybody in Pittsburgh who watched Vitaly play, you know, the expectations were always in check, and you know that was fine, that was acceptable. You know, like I said, I think Vitaly throughout his career, you know, once he realized, I think the kind of player he was, you know, he was never going to be that sniper, that forty goal scorer, and you know, once he accepted that role of, you know the bottom six-esque role, you know, penalty killer, face-off guy, defensive-minded, I guess. You know, I think he thrived in it. And, you know, I think the players who were a lot played alongside him, guys like, like I said, Crosby and Malkin, I'm sure if you were to go ask them about Joe Vitale today, I'm sure they would say some very similar things to what I'm saying. I, I don't think while Vitale was here, there was anything really out of the ordinary while he played. I think he was, like you said, he, he really just went about his business sounded like a great teammate, a great guy who you wanted to be with in the room. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear that, you know, he's succeeding as a broadcaster just for me personally, as I'm a, I don't want to toot my own horn or plug anything, but as an up and coming broadcaster myself, you know, I'm happy to hear that because, you know, you you see all the former players that go into these broadcasting roles. And let's be honest, some, some of the players who turn into broadcasters can be quite dry and dull, but it sounds like, his time in St. Louis as a broadcaster, now enjoying his post-playing days, it sounds like he's enjoying it quite well, and he's becoming quite a good broadcaster. Yes, yes, he is. He's done a great job with it. So, uh, Garrett, thank you very much. Again, this has uh, been great having you on. I, I've uh, with with the, the history between these two teams, even though one's in the West, one's in the East, it's actually quite interesting uh, with the earmuffs and obviously that big game in March '96, and then the trades. A uh, lot of history between these two teams. So this has been great. Uh, Garrett, I want to give uh, you the opportunity to tell my audience, as well as anyone who might be a Penguins fan who tuned in for this, 
uh, the chance to find you on social media, where they can find your work, um, and how they can interact with you online. Sure. Um, you can find me. I'm, I'm really active on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at G Bahana. That's at G B E H A N N A. Um, I think I have linked in my profile. I, I believe I have links to my work in my profile. If I don't, I should probably get on that, but, um, I, I am, yeah, mostly, uh, regularly affiliated with Pe- the Pennsburg and SB nation under the alias known as the Kessel run. Uh, you can find a lot of my work. I'm primarily responsible for, um, our, what we do at, uh, Pennsburg. We do, uh, every morning we have a links post of, of, uh, a collection of links of articles and, uh, really relevant news while the the NHL is in season from from Pittsburgh media from um, media around the league we we collect all sorts of information and give it to give it to the reader in case they find any of this interesting uh, right now I'm working on uh, player review our our Pennsburg player review series analyzing each player individually and their season that they had in 2018 and 19 so uh, I'm having a lot of fun doing that having a lot of fun I also have a podcast of my own. I would be remiss to not plug the podcast that I am working on with Pennsburg as well, just simply known as the Pennsburg podcast. You can find us on all the major streaming services, iTunes, uh, Google Play, uh, Spotify, I believe. Uh, we're, we're kind of, you know, kind of uh, prepping for draft coverage and free agency coverage as the Penguins, you know, pe- Penguins coverage kind of hit, hits a little bit of a lull here now that they're not playing, but we'll be back and ready to go for the start of the 19, 2020 season. So yeah, that's, that's about everything I have. If anyone wants to find me and any of the outlets that I'm working for. Great. Well, thanks a lot, Garrett. I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. This was a blast. Thank you for having me and having a chance to talk about the Penguins and Blues who two teams who I really don't think are, are talked about in conjunction that often. So I, I think this was a great experience. I had tons of fun going back through Penguins and Blues history. This was just a blast for me. Well, again, I want to thank Garrett for coming on. Uh, talking some old Penguins hockey was fun. I know that uh, there's a, a, a there was some stuff there mentioned early on that that I was unaware of. So it was kind of cool to uh, to learn about that. Um, I don't know if if you're a Blues fan, if you've heard of the earmuff game, but for me, you know, being born in 1985, I had never actually heard that story before. Um, so that was uh, that was pretty cool to to research about a little bit and uh, talk with Garrett about. So thank you to him for bringing that to my attention. Twitter handles for the show, the show Twitter, which will keep you updated with every new episode and, and anything, any news of the show, any new live shows that we'll do, which we'll probably do a couple this summer. Uh, the show Twitter is at LGB Radio. The other hosts of this show, Kurt Price, is at Kurt Price. Bill Day is at Billy Blue Note. And myself, Jeff Ponder, can be found at Ponder. Nine four. Our next episode will air this coming Friday, June 28th, as I welcome in Joey of the Brave the Wild podcast, and we talk Minnesota Wilds. So that is a division rival. Some of you will notice that there is a trend with these shows that uh, I'm going to go in order of division. So I started on uh, June 21st with the LA Kings episode, so that would be the Pacific Division. Then uh, today we did the Metropolitan Division. Next, we will have Central Division, and then, of course, we will end on the Atlantic Division, and then it goes back to the Pacific. Thank you for listening, everybody. And again, thanks to Garrett for coming on. This was a fun episode. I look forward to getting the next episode out 
which is the Minnesota Wild episode again on Friday, June 28th. That will conclude this week's show. Thanks for listening. Thanks to the Wild and Free. And thank you to you. Until next time, everyone, let's go Blues. Play Gloria all summer long. Thanks for listening to the Hockey Show Blues Report of the Week. Have a great day. 